Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 212 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. Most of the people I talk to have a complicated relationship with food because they've been told to diet at some point in their life, oftentimes when they're very young. And yet every so often I talk to somebody who says, yeah, no, I was never made to diet. I never had to restrict my intake in order to be smaller. Why do I have a complicated relationship with food? Why do I find myself binging or sneaking food or feeling lots of shame? Well, oftentimes when we dig through that, people have lived experiences that may not be called dieting or may not have been about being smaller but there still were issues with secure access to food. And I have a letter from someone today that experienced just that. Lots of food insecurity for many different reasons. And this also, this person also rather is visually impaired and experienced um, a different kind of way relating to food that may surprise you. I've heard lots of clinicians who specialize in eating disorders say that they've never met someone with an eating disorder who is blind. And well, (laughs) I have a letter from someone who is visually impaired and is experiencing such a similar way of relating to food that I hope if you are one of those people that has said that, you will pause next time. Besides this amazing letter that we get to sift through, we also get to hear from Veronica Garnett. She's a dietitian from New Jersey that I got to meet very briefly at a dietitian conference this past fall. And I actually caught up with her on Twitter and said, can you please, please, please come on my podcast? I would love to hear your point of view. And when we found this letter, we knew it was the right one for us to sift through together. So I'm excited to introduce you to Veronica and um, help you connect with all of her resources. But before we get to this episode's letter and hearing from Veronica, a word from our sponsors. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. If you experience PCOS, I know you've been told you have to diet in order to manage this condition. And I want you to know that you don't have to. There are so many different ways to live and promote health and feel more at home in your own skin while experiencing PCOS. I have lots of free resources on PCOS on my website. If you go to juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS, you'll connect with many of them. And if you want a deeper dive, check out my course. It's at pcosandfoodpeace.com. I really appreciate you, Love Food Listener. I appreciate you so much. Over the last 200 plus episodes, we have gone through so many different nuances in the food peace journey, and I wanna make the Love Food Podcast even better. I have put together a survey that I hope helps you to just give me more information on what you need out of the the podcast, and filling out the survey also will help me support the show. It'll take up to one minute 
really, maybe two if you're kind of doing something else at the same time, but it should not take very long at all. You can get to it at juliedillonrd.com slash survey. And I'm going to keep this survey up through the month of March. So if you're listening to it after March, 2020, it will not be available. But if you're listening to it before the end of March, 2020, you can get to it at juliedillonrd.com slash survey. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter and hear from Veronica Garnett. Dear food, I've struggled with you pretty much all of my life. I never dieted, but I have always been a rebel. I hid food, snuck it, or just ate too much in general. At least it's what other people would call too much. I'm also visually impaired. Dieting just seems ridiculous to me, especially since I couldn't read calories or other food label information. Of course, I could have had someone read it to me, but I could never see myself giving up sweets or even cutting back. I don't like fast food. One of the stereotypes of fat people or people in larger bodies is that they eat too much fast food. This wasn't true for me. My mom loved cooking when she had time, but she rarely did. She worked a lot. When she would cook, most of the food would go to waste because my brother, sister, and stepdad always wanted fast food. If my mom is at work and there wasn't any money to be used on fast food, my stepdad would cook something, but no sides. It never felt enough. Now I can eat chicken without the side, and it's no big deal. But back then, I always wanted my mom's good side dishes. We were also pretty poor. Food insecurity was hard. There were also times where my stepsister and my stepdad and sometimes my brother would leave and not tell me. Most of the time it would be to go pick up my mom from work, but sometimes it would be to go to other places. If my mom wasn't with them and they would stop and get food during those times, they would either forget about me or get me something I didn't wind up liking. I'm kind of a picky eater. My mom would remember to always make sure it was something I liked if they would stop and get fast food. I also went to Maryland School for the Blind during weekdays, starting through my fifth grade year. It was pretty good there because there was always good food around, or at least I would have peanut butter and bread to make a sandwich. I was disappointed that there were less snacks, but at least there were some, and I wouldn't feel like I would have to eat them quick to keep them from being gone within the next day or two because of my brother's friends who would often come over. Speaking of my brother, he also bullied me about my weight. That's when most of the rebellion really amped up. There's a lot more in my childhood and young adult life that led to a bad relationship with food, such as the times when I helped my friend out with food when she lost her food stamp card and we lived together. But she didn't help me when they found it. I was stuck eating just mashed potatoes and crackers during those times. I digress, though for the sake of time. Just a few months ago, I found out about intuitive eating and health at every size. I came to it because of a book that was recommended to me to deal with the triggering conversations that were happening about my weight. One of those triggering conversations was with my uncle, Tom, who's one of the most nicest and beautiful people, but he's still caught up in diet culture because he doesn't want me to diet, but he does want me to cut my portions back and he expects that I will lose weight. I know the main reason is because he's afraid of losing me because I'm the only one he trusts. My question to food is, how can I begin to incorporate these things when I've never really dieted? 
How do I keep myself from trying to prove to him and others that I am becoming healthier? How do I fit into these new paradigms? Also, how can I introduce people to these new paradigms when I'm not very articulate with it, when it comes to remembering definitions and statistics that will prove that these new ways of doing things are valid? Yours truly, Partially Blind Fat Friend. Hey there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. I really appreciate the fact that you trusted us with your complicated relationship with food. And I am excited to introduce you to Veronica Garnett. She's a dietitian that I've gotten to know slowly over the last year. I got to meet her very briefly at a dietitian conference last fall. And I heard that she's been doing some amazing speaking engagements on the intersection of different identities and helping a person's relationship with food. So when I caught up with her on Twitter, yeah, on Twitter, I connected with her and I said, hey, would you come on my podcast? And when I read your letter, letter writer, we knew that this is the perfect letter to explore together. So I'm excited to introduce you to Veronica. But before we do that, a word from our sponsor. Do you own a social justice-informed business? Are you a fat-positive business owner? If so, I would like to give you the opportunity to sponsor a Love Food Podcast episode. I have been looking into getting podcast advertisers for a while, and unfortunately, most of the people who are pitching the podcasts have some kind of connection with diet culture or just something that goes against what we are talking about and trying to cultivate. So if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, go on over to my website, juliedillonrd.com slash love food sponsor, and you'll get all the details. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to my interview with Veronica Garnett. Hello. Hello, Veronica. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? Hi, Julie. I'm good. So How great. are you? Oh, I'm great. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, same here. And I'm excited to talk to you about this letter. Did you get a chance to, to read over it yet? And I did get a chance to uh, to read it. And it's very juicy. I'm excited to talk about it. Juicy is a great word because there's so yeah. much important um content in here that I don't hear discussed enough. And um, I'm excited and I'm excited not only for this letter writer, but anyone who can relate to this person and some of the things or maybe all of the things that the person was bringing up. But when you read through it, what was your general impression about what this person's experiencing with their relationship with food? So my first impression, I mean, what the writer is going through is they're going through a lot. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like they have a lot of um, anxiety around food. And they have experienced some trauma around food, which, you know, of course would impact their relationship with food and would make it not as peaceful and secure as, you know, our relationship with food should be. Um, If I were speaking to the, you know, to the writer directly, I just want to say first off that like your experience is valid, you know, growing up in poverty and struggling with food insecurity is hard you know, living with a disability, like being partially blind in an ableist society is hard. Um, And it's hard to be left alone because the writer spoke about, you know, being left. Sometimes family, family would leave and they wouldn't know if, 
if or when they would come back and their needs or preferences weren't honored. So like that's hard to be like disregarded in that way. And then also with um, like you're it's hard to be bullied by anyone, but especially when it's, you know, your sibling. So I know that it was tough for you to, you know, to be bullied, to have your boundaries violated and your food taken. Um, and so all of these things like contribute to like that that's trauma, like growing up poor <laughs> and dealing with food insecurity is is trauma. And we don't talk we don't talk about about that, you know, enough. The anxiety that comes around with not knowing if you're gonna have enough or if the food that you've set aside for yourself is gonna be taken, like it just causes a lot of a lot of yeah, anxiety. So all of those experiences are valid and I just I just want to start with with that. You know, when you were going through all of those things, I was just like taking some notes um, and all the different, I don't know what to call them, um, maybe insults to just like childhood or development and and how that can impact relationship with food, bullied, um, ableist kind of um, society, trauma, boundaries violated, poor or living in poverty and just security or like, I, I didn't even think about this when I read the letter, but just how you mentioned, like, there was just not the security around food, which um, I think is even more goes deeper than just the thought of like not having enough money for food, but just the security that comes with that. So that's so many things. <laughs> you know, that's so right. and um, so thank you, like that word uh, that, you know, validating how hard this is. Um, I appreciate hearing, hearing that because, oh my goodness, that, and I don't know if the letter writer appreciates how that's a lot to have to experience, especially in a, as a child, you know? Right. Oh. Right. It's like when you're just like figuring out the world and trying to make sense of things when things don't make sense and mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're not secure and like they talk about secure attachment theory and things like that like mm-hmm. when when, th- when things aren't secure like it just it it kind of messes us up and we carry that into adulthood mm-hmm. um so like now now that the writer is an adult you know they they have an opportunity to you know heal that relationship and like unpack some of that or all of that hopefully all that stuff that happened yeah. And, you know, the thing I think about with like unpacking that and trying to examine it from a, a like from with adult eyes, the the thing that gets in the way that I can see that makes this so complicated is we're unpacking it into a world that is ableist and uh, fat phobic and has all these beliefs that will still make it like it'll re-traumatize it at the same time. You know, right. right. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Definitely a lot. Yeah. Definitely a lot. Well, and I'm, then it's like what you're talking about. It's like we're once the writer is unpacking it, it's like you're unpacking this into diet culture and ableism. And I don't know much of like the writer didn't say anything about like race or ethnicity, mm-hmm. but there's issues with that or like sexuality. Like there's so many different ways that, you know, we experience microaggressions and and trauma and like violations that all, you know, impact our relationship with food and then ultimately our health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I thank you for, yeah, because we don't know everything. Like we don't mm-hmm. all the, know all the different identities and well, keeping that in mind and with the information we do have and then, all, yeah, like I said, even keeping in mind, maybe the things we don't know, um, what would you 
consider to be some first steps forward for someone like this letter writer or someone who can relate to what they're experiencing? Right. I think one of the first steps is to become aware of your own like kind of behavior. So one thing like when I was reading the letter, um, the the writer mentioned they had never really dieted. Um, and I mean, it seems like they probably wouldn't identify necessarily with having like an eating disorder. And so one of the things like I like I'm kind of hesitant. I know we often pathologize the things that like poor people or fat people or other people of other marginalized identities would path pathologize the behaviors that they um, do to survive. Um, but like, so our, our, the writer, they, they may have never dieted, but they were struggling with like, it's involuntary food restriction. And so like those behaviors of like hiding the food and sneaking food or like rebelling, I'm guessing by like over, overeating in quote, in quotation marks, overeating mm -hmm. or uh, maybe perhaps binging, like that could be, cons that could be seen as, you know, disordered. I think the writer just needs to become aware of those behaviors and like how they, um, you know, they, that they need to be shifted or right. yeah, yeah, if you want to have this peaceful relationship. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say, okay, this is an eating disorder, but and to pathologize things, but we have to, so, so I just won't, but I, I would ask um, the writer is like, is this, how you want your relationship with food to be for, you know, you do want it to be like this forever. And if mm -hmm. not, would you like to have a more peaceful relationship with food? One that's secure, um, one that's peaceful. Let me ask you a question too, if, it, if that's okay. Um, Cause I'm curious about something. Okay. Uh, so something that I'm thinking about pathologizing, I, I totally agree with you, what you're saying about like pathologizing and how we, mm -hmm. um, our, our society, especially like mental health professionals and medical professionals, we like to like diagnose people and, and call it like a something wrong. And I totally, as I've been sitting with other people, as I describe the relationship with food, I've wanted to also just acknowledge like, oh my gosh, you, you were surviving. Like you were given right. some really crappy um, circumstances. circumstances and right. like, especially as a child, or even if you're not a child, like you, you're like, we're supposed to like eat every day. <laughs> and and so if mm -hmm. we're not getting enough food, like it's like when you finally get to the surface of the, the, of water and you've been like underwater for too long, you're going to be gasping for air and you're, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to be eating more than, um, than you typically would. But the, the one thing I think about, and I, this is what I was wondering what you thought is it's kind of the, the perk or the, the plus of diagnostic kind of information or pathologizing is I, I know for some people it helps them to be like, oh, wow, like, yeah, this, this is serious, like to take it mm -hmm. seriously. And, That's um, true. I, I, and not to pathologize, but necessarily just to like, to tell this letter writer, you know, yeah, this is a lot. Like when we were like going through all these different things, um, and we can just, just from like one letter, we can tell that this person was doing the best they could. And, right. um, that was hard. And, the circumstances that you had to survive in looks like people who we would pathologize and how that, like, if this is really hard, that's because you uh, haven't been given enough tools, you know, you, and you weren't provided the security that every human should be given with like, especially with something like food and, and security, like you were saying, what do you think right. about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
get you like hit the nail on the head. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, because I do like struggle. Yeah. Like because I like I struggle with the pathologizing things with the, uh, path, you know pathologizing mm-hmm. some behaviors. But if this is like diagnosing a thing or calling a thing a thing, mm-hmm. and if that if that helps so that someone could get the treatment that they need or can take it as seriously as they need to, then. I guess I feel better. Yeah, about, me too. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, thinking. About pathologizing it. And it's it's so true too with, you know, this the writer was doing what they had to do to survive and to cope with, you know, these body violations, like having their autonomy violated, their personal agency. Like these are like small acts of or large, I guess, acts of violence. Yeah, they were doing what they had to do to survive. I love the words you choose to describe things. Like I just wrote down body violation, acts of violence. Like I think those are, that's part of what I think pathologizing often does is it helps to just again, like announce that, hey, this is serious. Like we want to support you. And so using those words, I think does the same thing too. Like it's like, yeah, this is not okay that this happened to you and right. or that you're trying to recover Um and trying to maybe, quote, do it on your own and why that may be so hard is that this is such a complicated, big thing that these big s- systems have been working against you. Right, right. <clears throat> and then that makes me think of like we have these big systems, but then there's also like these interpersonal relationships. Like the writer mentioned their uncle who, you know, wants them to diet well, they say that they don't want them to diet, but then they do yeah. <laughs> uh, by cutting back and restricting and losing, you know, intentionally losing weight. Um, so those, like the behaviors that the uncle suggested are like that's that's dieting. And I'm thinking like with the writer, because their boundaries were like violated over and over again, they may not see that this is like this is another boundary violation, like with the with the uncle, like having this say or um, like putting this responsibility on the writer. Um, and so I think like that might be a good, I don't know if this is a good first step, but mm-hmm. this is one of, one of the first few steps is to be able to set boundaries with the, the uncle. Like the writer is not responsible for the, the uncle's like fears and anxieties. You know, the writer was saying that the uncle's fearful, uh, the, the writer's the only person that they trust, but like that's not, that's not the writer's responsibility to carry that, those like fears and anxieties and to kind of worry about the uncle's lack of trusting relationships. And then also there's so like, it's, you know, making these dietary or lifestyle changes. Like if you're coming from a fear-based um, mm-hmm. perspective, that's probably not a good, not a good thing to do. And like one of the things that like, people always say like to people in fat body. So I identify as a fat woman. So when I say fat, it's not a pejorative. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are like, well, I just want a family members, well-intentioned people like me. Like, I just want you to live longer and I want you to be around and like all of that. And one of the things that, like this, the, this letter like made me think about is like Kobe Bryant. Um, I think about him, like he, it, he was the picture of wealth and health and success, like all of these good things that we aspire to. And like in the blink of an eye, like his life was taken you know, so it's like we could be spending all of this time trying to shrink ourselves or try to please other people and, and shrink ourselves. But, you know, anything could happen at any moment. Um, and now, like, you know, at the time of this recording, like the coronavirus, there's all these fears. And like this is I mean, it's a pandemic and like anything 
could happen to anybody of any size. Like it's not just fat people who, mm-hmm. you know, get sick, um, get sick and die. Like it, it's all people, different ages. Like, and so it's just coming from this place of fear is not helpful or useful. Um, I think we could be spending our time a lot better. Like if, you know, if you want to connect with family and have this loving relationship, you know, there's other ways to connect. And I mean, setting boundaries is a good start. Um, mm-hmm. And then like focus on love and like all that stuff instead of fear. Um, yeah, yeah. Thing. And I, I know I haven't talked about the actual food, like what to do with food yet. But like, I think all of these, like all of these things impact, you know, our our food and movement and things like that. So I feel like it's just important to talk about. It is really important for sure. And I think so many people, especially like, you know, we're both dietitians and people assume as dietitians, all we do is talk about like meal planning and um, eat this, not that, which, you know, we don't talk about that anyway, but uh, it's, there's so much nuance before we even talk about like, Mm -hmm. Hey, how do we add more of this or whatever? And (laughs) so you're like the way you're describing, I'm like, yeah, that's like how this works. But there's so much, I want to dive into what you just said. And I'm also want to hear what you said about like, what do you think about the food part or, um, you know, what other kind of steps are are you um, thinking would be important for this person? So some of the first steps, um, like I would want to, I just, I feel like I need, I need a lot more information mm-hmm. um, about their current food situation. So I just want to know, like, are you still to the right? Or are you still faced with food insecurity? Like, what are your food resources now? Um, and let's say you aren't, if you aren't getting enough food, like if you don't have enough food in your pantry, in your refrigerator, like right now, what can we do to make sure that you get enough food? Um and then, like, what, what are your food preferences? Because I know that when you were a child, um, your preferences were disregarded. So we want to make sure that you get plenty of the foods that you like or all of the foods that you like when you do get the food. And then how can we make sure we, yeah, that you get enough of these foods that you like? And then maybe, like, what, like if, you don't, um, if you don't have enough of your own, like, personal resources – like, you know, you have this relationship with your uncle, like, is it possible that he, like, supports you, you know, maybe financially or supports you with, you know, being able to get enough food? Like, maybe that's an option. Um, and some other, like, you know, external resources, like, because because you are, you're living with a disability, maybe there are some services, like, through the Commission of the Blind, or maybe if you are, if you're still low income, maybe we could look into, you know, SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, like seeing what resources are available. Um, I did a lot of, like I worked in the community. I For much of my career, I worked in um, HIV. Uh, and then, but the, um, that was like a big umbrella over, you know, these people were dealing with mental illness, substance abuse issues. They were living in poverty, relying on, you know, food stamps, like relying on these support systems. And so a lot of times, like I would just, I, a lot of my work was referring people to, um, you know, to food pantries, to congregate meals, to, you know, just whatever resources, you know, we would give out like food vouchers, um, you know, like a $25 gift card here and there. So people could buy, like get enough food. Um, and so like, I would want to know um, more about that. And like, to and the first thing is to make sure that you have enough food. I think it's it's so much easier to like eat intuitively um, when you have enough and a variety of food. So like that's one of the first steps I would want to make sure that yeah you just have enough 
enough food. Um, and if those are no, and then once you do get all of that food, um, I would just say you have to give yourself unconditional permission to eat, which I know is hard. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. hard, but um, I would just recommend trying to make sure that you eat consistently. Um, and I think it'll, it, it will take, it will take, it could take years, you know, for people to recover from dealing with having, you know, healing their relationship with food or, or it, it might take years from, you know, dealing with the food insecurity. Um, and so like, you have to reliably feed yourself to kind of like help your body, you know, like your body know that like you're going to consistently feed it. And then like maybe some of that after some time, some of the anxieties, um, you know, that could like diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, it's so yeah. hard to like conceptualize, um, compared to like diet culture and, um, going through the intuitive eating process, you know, diet culture, the way they kind of win all this is that they make, it's like, here's a sheet of paper, just follow this and then we'll fix it. But what mm-hmm. we know to be true is that like, there's so many layers that really need to be in place in order for a person to be able to rely on their body again. And mm-hmm. um, I hearing, you know, you and I have different work experience. And so, um, you know, hearing how working in the community and a different way than I have been, um, I always have said too, like having enough food needs to be priority number one. You know, right. that to me is like the healthiest. If I'm ever going to use the word healthy eating, that's what I'm going to use it. It's like, mm-hmm. how can we help you to have enough food? And we really, to me, that seems like it always needs to be the first step. And um, so I appreciate hearing that too. And um, something that I know I've struggled with is having more information or resources for people who are living in poverty, who also are wanting to move away from diet culture. And I I know the intuitive eating authors are um, releasing like the fourth edition, I think this summer, and there's going to be a chapter on food insecurity in there. So I mean, but it's only, it's only a chapter, but you know, it'll be something, but um, you know, I know when we talked before we were recording, we we were briefly mentioning how like there just isn't a lot of resources. And what's your experience been with like with that part? Just even like, have you been able to find anything or um, or even like, since we know there's not very much, like, what do we need from other people who could be like, maybe helping us to have more resources in this area? What are you finding right. that we need? Um, so yeah, there's just a dearth of inf- information and resources. Like even when I was searching, um, looking, even when I was, you know, working in the community, like they really, I mean, we're shoestringing it and figuring things out as we go along. Like there was no just one resource to go to. Um, and if folks are, are no longer food insecure, there's, there's really not much, I couldn't find anything really that focused on like healing the relationship with food after, you know, experiencing food insecurity. But um, because, it is a trauma. It's a, it's a, a, a form of trauma. Um, I was thinking, I was looking like maybe there's some books about healing trauma that might be helpful. So I, I've only read snippets mm-hmm. of these two books, but The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body and the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk, I think. Kolk? Kolk uh, I think that's, yeah, I haven't read it. Um, but that came, that was highly recommended and highly rated. It was highly rated on Amazon. Um, and then the other book is called A Hunger So Wide and So Deep, A Multiracial View of Women's Eating Problems by Becky Thompson. 
Um, I've also read snippets. I ordered that book. It's in the way, like it's it's in the in transport right now to me. <laughs> awesome. But I only like I only read snippets too. But there there is a chapter that focus on focuses on like the lessons that we learn in childhood, and there is a focus on class. I mean, of course, like class and race and you know other um, identities. So those are only like those are the only resources that I could mm-hmm. think like think of. But I think there's definitely there's there's a need there, um, and maybe, you know, I could be one of the dietitians to create those resources. I'll have to. <laughs> I would love that. that. I yeah. would love that. And um, so one thing that I'm thinking about with these two resources is we have uh, something on the show called the Food Peace Syllabus, which if you're new to the Love Food Podcast, it's a collection of resources like books and movies, blog posts, anything under the sun that helps your food peace journey. And you can get the most recent uh, Food Peace Syllabus at juliedillonrd.com. So let's add these to it. And also just kind of maybe noting that, um, because I've only read snippets of The Body Keeps the Snore, Snore? (laughs) <laughs> keeps the score. And I haven't read the other one, um, Hunger So Wide and Deep. Um, that sounds like what, what you're telling me. I'm like, I think I need to order that as well. So yeah, we'll okay. maybe even just note that it hasn't been totally reviewed by the two of us, but it could be a resource. And um, maybe this is something that can um, help someone come up with a resource. And I would love it to be you (laughs) and and if not you know somebody but um you you know your information and your expertise your compassion has been so helpful I really really appreciate it and if someone wants to find out more about your work where can people find you so you can find me on social media and my website it's just veronicagarnett.com but I'm veronica garnett everywhere um, and I'm also working on two other, well, I'm working on three, well, two other like nutrition related, um, projects. Mm-hmm. So one of them is Diasporatical Kitchen. So I, I am a, a classically trained culinarian. I just finished culinary school last year. <laughs> um, and, uh, so what I wanted, I've, I dreamt of when I was a child, I dreamt of like going to culinary school, becoming a chef and like having my own cooking show. So now like this was before the age of, you know, YouTube and like being able to do this stuff yourself. So anyway, this is a forthcoming cooking show uh, that I'm like in the works on. And what we're I'm going to I'm going to have guests on there and we're going to be talking about, you know, diet culture and racism and fat phobia and like these these systems of oppression, like talking about dismantling them while focusing on my culinary point of view is the African diaspora. So like focusing on foods from the African diaspora Um, so that you can find that. Well, whenever it is, um, when the show is like launched and released, it'll be it's Diasporatical Kitchen like everywhere on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, I can't Twitter. wait for this. This sounds amazing. Um, yeah, I'm really excited uh, excited about it. And it brings together like these two worlds, like my dietitian yeah. self and the the social justice warrior um, and my culinary background. So that's really cool. And there's also Reclaiming Our Plate, um, which is a collective that I formed with other Haze-aligned Black dietitians. Um, I think like, or we created this because there was a, we felt like there was a need, particularly with our community. Um, A lot of the anti-diet culture messaging or whatever's happening now, I feel like it kind of misses the mark with, um, people of color, uh, with black people in particular, and 
I think a lot of people in our community don't know about like health at every size, intuitive eating, and don't really realize the relationship between like diet culture and racism, how they, you know, they operate like hand in hand. So we, we created this, this collective and then we're going to be creating resources and content and everything. to like really address the needs of our, of our community. And so we just launched um, this week, actually like two days ago, three days ago. Fabulous. Um, is there a um, website so, yeah. for it or is it a, at the time of this recording, like we are, um, we're working on the website mm-hmm. uh, there. So there will be a website, but right now we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a, a closed Facebook group um, and that's all like reclaiming, reclaiming our plate. Um, across the board. Well, on Twitter's okay. rec- reclaim our plate because you know the the letter, the number, the limitations on how many <laughs> yes, it has. Yes. Um, but if you type in reclaiming our plate, like it'll in Twitter, it'll awesome. will like will come up. And we're going to be starting with a book club and um, kind of going from there. So you can find me all over the interwebs. <laughs> I love it. So I'm going to put all those resources in the show notes so then people can easily just connect with those resources. I cannot wait to hear what comes from these kind of collaborations. Holy shit, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> so I cannot wait. Um, so again, thank you so much for your time and expertise. And I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So there you have it, Letter Writer. I hope my conversation with Veronica was helpful for you and anyone listening who can relate to this letter. After we stopped recording, Veronica and I kept talking about the letter and just more things that we really didn't get a chance to get to and something in particular letter writer that you brought up that we wanted to make sure we named is how hard it can be to communicate the health at every size, intuitive eating type of messages and and also not always feeling like you fit into the paradigm. And something that Veronica said that I wrote down because I wanted to make sure that I communicated it is that health at every size and rejecting diet culture, that's for everyone. It is for everyone. And if you're not feeling included, that's on the rest of us to be sure that you are. But it is intended to be for everyone, whether you have a diet history or not. And so I hope that helps you to clarify whether or not you even have a space in it because your voice and your experiences are valid for sure. And we all can relate to not being able at times to grab the right research or be able to effectively communicate the kind of different paradigm that we are trying to help people with. And Veronica mentioned that, you know, you don't have to prove to everyone or anyone this point. It's not up to you because your experiences are valid and it's it's not up to you to have to prove it. I remember early on talking to Deb Beauregard. She's someone that I admire and I've learned a lot from. She's a psychologist out of Oakland, California. And what she always says is that instead of the the pressure and all the like arguing being on those of us who are against this mainstream paradigm of diet culture, we need to be saying, show me the data, put it back on them. So stay with us, please. Your point of view and your experiences are super important and are going to help us do better, helping more voices. So before we get to Food's Letter, which I see Food has written back, Be sure to check out the listener survey. I'm hoping to make the Love Food Podcast better for you and to further enhance your food peace journey. Check it out at juliedillonrd.com slash survey. And if you are a business owner that is social justice informed or fat positive, 
both really. (laughs) I would love to partner with you to advertise on the Love Food Podcast. If you're interested in finding out more, go to juliedillonrd.com slash lovefoodsponsor. All right. So until next time, take care. Dear Partially Blind Fat Friend, We are so very sorry you didn't get enough secure access to us and had to fend for yourself. This has given you a way of relating to food that may feel shaky, scary, inconsistent, and chaotic. This is not your fault. You don't need to be fixed. Even though you don't connect with dieting, Health at Every Size is for you too. Instead of fear, we hope you connect with support and community to decide the steps that are the most health-promoting for you. Consider connection with resources and programs to be sure you have enough food and unconditionally give yourself permission to meet your needs however you can. Even though you may not always have the words, your struggle is valid, your point of view is valid, and you don't have to prove anything. Your presence is necessary to help us all heal. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.